there. It's the very first episode of the Unplugged Creative. That is super exciting. And more exciting is today's guest, Andreka Hirsch, a photographer with a serious travel bug. For the past 12 years, she's traveled the world photographing people, places, and events, many of which I've been to. She's been featured in magazines, blogs, and marketing campaigns, but mostly Andreka is my friend and a constant source of inspiration. In this episode, we talk about our mutual would-be careers, moving across the country, an unexpected career with a top Hollywood producer, and making the shift into running her own successful multi-city photography business. Without further ado, here's episode one. Welcome to The Unplugged Creative, a podcast that explores the weird, wild, and wonderful things creatives go through to do what they love. I'm your host, Arielle Zadok, and this is the place to be reminded that wherever you are, you're exactly where you're meant to be. Are you the next Terry Gross? Yeah, (laughs) I would love to be. Cool. Well, welcome to the very first episode of The Unplugged Creative. This is super exciting. Oh my gosh. I can't believe I'm first. I feel so honored. I know. I think it's perfect that you're first because as we were talking about right before we got on, I have definitely told you about this podcast and you thought it was already started. So why not? (laughs) I know. Now I'm kind of nervous. You added that to like extra pressure. (laughs) Definitely no pressure. Super chill. That is the whole name of the game here. I am going to put those headphones back on though, because I can actually hear a little better. It'd be a little oh, bit yeah, more yeah. focused. It's okay. It makes you look very official. Right? Yeah, it's like, like let's it. be official about it. I like being official. <laughs> now that I can hear oh, both perfect. of us. Although I, like, do think, I think your voice changes as the things come on. Does it? I don't know. Maybe. maybe maybe because I feel more official. It's like it's shit's getting real. All right. The <laughs> headphones are on. The mics are on. It's about to go down. Totally. <laughs> While we sit in a really comfortable sofa. This is a fantastic sofa. It's decorated beautifully. So we are sitting right now in Andreka's old apartment slash sometimes apartment. Yes. Yes. I love this place. Should I talk about it? Talk about it. Okay. Let's go. So here's a little backstory. I lived in this apartment for three years Three years before I met you, I met you in St. Pete. Three years ago before that, I lived here. My roommate never got a roommate. Thank God for rent control. And I think she honestly thought that, how could she get another roommate that was as great as me? Not because I'm fantastic, but because I'm never around. <laughs> it really works out for, <laughs> as far as roommates, especially in LA are concerned, a roommate that's not around is like right. gold. I would pay year round rent, yet I would be in Michigan six months in the summer. And then I would travel in the time all the winter. So I was like, never here. I was here just enough to be a perfect friend and then leave and not make a mess and invade her space. So when I moved out, I kind of told her, I'm like, Heather, I don't think you should try to get a roommate. I think you should just keep the place open. I didn't even realize at the time I was actually helping myself out so that now I have my place in LA every time I come back. Those little things we do. (laughs) And and now it's decorated better than when I lived here. (laughs) It is. Yeah. She had a decorator in here. So it's super cool. I wish I could do every interview in a super cool apartment. I will not be able to. (laughs) Most of it will be over Skype. So this is extra exciting to have you in person and to be in a really dope apartment. Yeah. Well, I mean, just your apartment has to be amazing because then you will be doing it from a dope apartment. True. With Skype. 
True. True. <laughs> I mean, it's cool. I got a, I got a cool apartment. I got to get one of those designers that came in here that will like zhuzh with your own stuff. That's a brilliant business plan, by the way. Right. I think she has a great Instagram. I can't throw a shout out to her because I don't know her name or who she is, but I can get it for you. But we'll find out and we'll put it in the yeah. show notes. Maybe she'll be someone you interview. That's right. I would love to interview her. Yeah. But this one's about you. So <laughs> tell me a little bit about how you came to California. Okay. I was born in the Midwest to, I'm going way back. Go way back. Way Let's back. go way back. Way back. So I was born in Michigan and I never thought I would ever live in California. In fact, my mother said to me when I graduated college, my brother at the time lived in New York and she said, honey, go and do anything you want. Just don't move to California. And I was like, mom, I'm not going to move to California. Why would I do that? Who lives out there? I'm going east. I'm going to New York. I'm going to Boston. Well, then my best friend moved out to Santa Barbara. I came and visited and I was like, wow, this place is kind of great. I don't know. I think I want to be back here. And then funny enough, 9-11 happened. Ooh, I remember that. Yeah. And I, at the time, was living in podunk country town. Don't get me wrong. I love my podunk country towns. But I was living there in the middle of 9-11 and all the hoopla. And I was like, nope get me back out to California, get me out there to that mentality. And I want to be surrounded by all that is there. Things that are so, what's the word I'm thinking of? Bright you can do and anything. Sunny. Bright and sunny, literally and creatively and creative. So mm-hmm. much creativity. So I moved out here or I moved out. Yeah. Santa Barbara here. That's where we are. LA. And I intended on going to, I don't think you know this. I intended on going to make it my master's in education. Really? I did not know that. Yeah. So, you know, what was your first degree in? First degree was in history and history, a major in history, major in art. And I think Siri just said hi to us. Siri, (laughs) stop listening. So my first major was history. My second, my minor was English. And the head of the art department came to me like a month before graduation and said, do you want to have an art show? I'm like, I'm not a major. He goes, check your credits. I was an art major and I didn't even realize it. What? Yeah. You, what? I had just like randomly taken art classes, randomly taken photography classes because I liked it. My thought was actually that I was going to go into museum work and work as a curator. You know, something similar happened to me with theater because sans one class, I have a minor in theater because everything I did Every single class I took was in theater. I just took, for fun. Just for fun. I took costuming. I mean, I was in all the shows, but I took costuming. I took makeup. I took scene design. I took obviously acting. I did everything. And so by the end of it, and you also got credits for doing shows. So by the end of it, they were like, you, <laughs> if you take like one more class, which was the history of playwriting and I had to write a bunch of papers and I was like, no, nah, I'm cool. <laughs> you will have a minor in theater. So I totally get going under the radar and just doing what you love. And exactly. then all of a sudden you're like, oh shit. It's kind of like the, the things follow you. Well, that's kind of funny how the photography thing followed. So I actually, going back even further, I'm kind of skipping around in history. When I was a in high school, I wanted to be on the yearbook staff in order to get a hall pass. <laughs> Just so. <laughs> very strategic of you. I was very strategic. I wanted a hall pass. By the way, teachers, if you're anyone's listening, I, I still really respected you at Ovidelsi High School. I really did. Um, but I wanted a hall pass to walk the halls and kind of do what I wanted. And I knew my English and my writing skills weren't weren't good enough, well enough. I don't even know the right word to say. See? Well, you're winning, so you're good. Right. So I decided- I think you were good on that. No one is going to want to interview because you had to interview to be in yearbook, all that whole practice in high school. No one's going to want to have that crappy photographer job is literally what I thought in my head. Hmm. I was right. 
No one wanted the crappy really? photographer job. I was the only person who uh, went for it. I got it. <laughs> That's how photography started. Wow. And then after that, went to college. Randomly again, I needed work. I'm like, well, I kind of did this. I'll work for the newspaper and I'll work for the magazine and I'll shoot pictures when they need me to. And I'll just do it here and there. And I wanted to stop studying all the academic stuff. And so I would take the art classes, probably the same as you did with theater, to mm -hmm. like escape all that crap. And in the end, I ended up with this degree. But then I thought, oh, this is great for teaching. Yeah. Yeah. So I'll move to California and get a teaching degree was my thought. You know, that's so funny because <laughs> I went to, to college thinking that I was going to be a teacher because when I was in high school, my mentality was, and this actually came from, what was the teacher's name? His first name was Tim. Weird that I would remember his first name and not his last name, but in any event, he, no, not, not at all. He was, a, he was a total nerd, but he was great. He was a theater guy. He said, you know, cause he taught English and he took over theater. One of the things that he said in his class was, cause somebody asked, you know, why, if you love acting and you love theater so much, why are you teaching? And he said, well, the curriculum is my script. You are my audience. And this classroom is my stage. So oh. I am on a stage every day and I am reading a script every day and I am getting to act every day. And so that seemed like a really great idea for me. Also, my boyfriend at the time was going to school to be a teacher and like <laughs> half the people I knew. So whatever, boys. I, I was just thinking that like everybody, I think, said, that's what you do. You become a teacher. Yeah. It was like we were in that generation of they push teachers. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. I think so. Meanwhile, all of us had those terrible tenured teachers that yeah. were the worst. And you're like, I want Why that job. Like what? You can be terrible and still get paid. It's like the weather guy. You're like, my dad used to always say that's the only job where you can fail every day and you'll still be considered great. I have a teacher that made me cry in ah. fourth grade. And it's funny because to this day, when my mom was living still back where I grew up, she would go in to vote or do whatever. And she'd run into this teacher and the teacher would always ask about me. And my mom would think, do you realize my child is like scarred from you. And yet she thinks I was the best and that I love her. I'm like, wow, teachers just are clueless sometimes. Wow, <laughs> they are. I mean, there obviously there no. are a lot of yeah. exceptional ones and it takes a lot. That's a tough job. Yeah, I feel um, like we're getting off path and like, bashing teachers. Doesn't matter. We're, we're not bashing. I'm, I'm like bringing it back. I'm reeling it back in. And, and to be fair, hey, this is the unplugged creative. We're, we're just going to have conversations. That's totally what this is about. And it's about truth and reality and all of that. And, and I think that teaching is a very hard job to do. And I think a lot of us, like you and I, at some point, we're like, yeah, cool, I'm going to do this. And yeah. I was a camp counselor, like I did all the things. But then at some point you realize I'm a little too selfish. I want yeah. to do something different. And it takes so much selflessness to be a teacher. And I imagine that they're passionate about it and whatever. But I also imagine that, especially for some that are older that have 10 years, they may have given up a dream that the two of us and many other people listening have decided to take the gamble on. Yeah, That can be part of what as well as working with kids for 15 years is hard work, especially in yeah. high school when they're at their worst. You know, um, it's so funny. I yeah. weirdly still dream of being a teacher. Really? I do. I still think like there's still this thing in me that weirdly enough, I want to be a teacher and teach. You teach photography. I've thought about it or like, you know, and now I guess with the whole entrepreneur thing and doing the workshops, but there's something I want to like get in there and teach maybe later once I'm not traveling all the time. I don't know. Yeah. But I always, there's always that, I still think of it as a very glamorized job, even though I have a lot of friends who are teachers who are it's not glamorous. the reality of it all. 
Yeah. It's wonderful and it's needed and they should be paid a hell of a lot more than they oh are. Oh my gosh. But it's not, gla- it's like film production. It's not glamorous. Believe you me, it is not glamorous. Yeah. <laughs> Teachers should definitely be paid more. It's crazy when you think about all this, all those crazy stories. I was, someone was telling me that he's a teacher and he's no longer a teacher because he's going to get paid more working in a grocery store mm-hmm. than being a teacher. That's wild. That's, I it's mean, crazy. that is a huge problem in our country. Yeah. If that's what it is, how are we possibly going to support our children and how are we possibly going to survive anything that's a whole other topic let's, let's <laughs> less serious I know no, hey look it, if it goes serious I'm all for it it's it's really that's that's the truth and that's the journey and and shit gets real and I think that part of why I want to be here and doing this is to talk about the stuff that's real and is to explore the shadowy shit because we don't talk about it. And side note, I curse a lot. There will be a warning at the beginning of these, but you know, (laughs) it's, there's so much value in the serious and there's so much value in the darkness that I think if we skip over it, we're doing ourselves and everyone else a disservice because that's how we're not going to learn from things are great. You learn from this works for me. This will work for you. Mm -hmm. Well, maybe no. Yeah. But what didn't work and and how did you deal with it? So let's talk about when you first got to California then. Okay. What was that like? It's a tough place to come to LA. So what, well, at first I went to Santa Barbara and you know, here's the thing. And I think, you know, you would ask me what my low points are. And my problem is when I look back in life, my low points, and thank goodness this is how I was raised, is that my low points turn into good things. So I moved to California. I moved to Santa Barbara after 9-11 because, I, well, I'd been there and visited for a few weeks, a few months. And then I went back to Michigan going, well, that was fun. I did my little stint in California. Now I can move on and settle down in my life at 22, 23, <laughs> right? Because at 22, 23, you think you got it all figured out. Oh yeah. I was in that boat too. (laughs) I moved to Santa Barbara. I think I'm going to become a teacher and I go for all the job interviews and I answered an ad in the paper that said an executive assistant for a small Montecito company. And my thought was how boring. I don't even think I want to go to this job interview. I also thought to myself prior to this, the only job I want, I want it to be in a creative environment. And, and at this point, again, remember I'm not looking to be a photographer. I just want something cool and fun while I get ready to go to graduate school. I want a creative environment and I don't want to have to wear a suit or nylons. Fair enough. (laughs) Right? Nylons aren't even a thing anymore. I don't even know if you can buy them. I don't know. Are they even called nylons anymore? Even if you can't buy them? Maybe not. (laughs) So that old Midwest upbringing was like, nope, you said you're going to be somewhere. You better be there. You better do that interview. It's good practice. So here I am, this sweet Midwest girl pulling up to a gated mansion and going, oh, this is going to be interesting. I've never been to a place like this. And as I pull into the driveway, I see this huge mansion that looks like a 1970s, honestly, I'm thinking either porn or mafia. It's got this wraparound porch and this pool. And I'm thinking, I have no idea where I am, but this is going to be a great story for me to tell. (laughs) Like the one you're telling now? I was like, like right now. So then I pull up to this interview. And again, I know nothing about executive assistant for a small Montecito company. That's all I know. So I pull up to this place and I walk in and the girl who kind of meets me is pregnant. She's wearing Adidas sweatpants and flip flops. And I'm thinking, yes, score. All right. I don't have to wear nylons. (laughs) (laughs) Confirmed. Confirmed. Thanks, Adidas. So then she walks me down this long hallway and I'm like, all right, this is going to be fun. And I sit down and I'm sitting there in this kind of office and I'm looking around and there's like this 
Lichtenstein print behind a desk and there's this Julian Schnabel piece of work that's just amazing. And I'm like, okay, this is some cool art. And I go into the office and the woman goes, Ivan Reitman, meet Andreka, meet Ivan Reitman. I'm like, huh, that name sounds familiar. I don't know why I know that name. And I don't think anything of it. And I keep working and I keep going through the interview. And then halfway through, he said, why do you want this job? Actually, halfway through, he said, do you have any questions for me? And I said, your ad was a little vague. What exactly do you do? Now, I don't know if your listeners know who Ivan Reitman is. He is an incredible director and a producer. He's been around for decades. He's pretty well known. Kind of a big deal. Kind of a big deal. Kind of a big deal, especially then. I'm clueless. And he looks at me and he goes, I'm a director and a producer and I do about two films a year. And I went, oh, thinking, gosh, now I know why the name sounded familiar. So here's funny. And I don't know if I ever told you this. My brother, who's 10 years older than I am, dreamed of being an actor. I remember being like a 10 year old girl sitting in the back of my mom's Subaru with my brother going at the age of 20, moving to New York, become an actor, moving all around, going, I just dream of being in an Ivan Reitman film. Wow. This is why this name is in my head. Yeah. I literally thought he was a graphic designer Mm because my brother was a graphic designer and the connection. So I walk out of there. I'm thinking, well, that was fun. There's no way in hell I'm getting a call back on that one. And I instantly get in the car. I call my brother. I'm like, bro, guess what just happened? This was my story. This this was the extent of my like California moment and my California story. Two days later, I get a call back from the office. We'd like you to come in for a second interview. And I'm like, wow. All right. That works. That might be fun. And not mind you, too, at this point, I had interviewed at a school who was a grade school that wanted like an assistant to a headmaster. And I was like, oh, my gosh, I really wanted the headmaster job. I didn't know who Ivan was. I didn't know about this whole thing. I wanted to work in the school because I thought that's where my life's journey was going to go. That felt like your dream job at that point. It did. Totally. It was a perfect transition to everything. But I never got they never called me back. Mm. And so it's kind of over Christmas as well. And so over Christmas break type. And I walk in, I interview Ivan's like, why would you want this job? You don't have anything in your resume about any of this stuff. And this is funny. I said, you know, I want to work in a creative environment. I want to live in Santa Barbara, California, and I want to have fun and work for nice people. And he's like, all right. And then here's what he gave me the best advice that I have carried on with my business for Ever. And a lot of photographers even look at me like I'm crazy. He said, I can teach anyone how to be a good assistant or I can teach anyone the film industry. I can't teach anyone how to be a good assistant. Damn right. And it's been, I mean, I've carried that into everything. I can teach anyone how to carry a camera. I can't teach someone how to be good and know how to deal with a bride. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So yeah. it's it's funny how that job, which I got to admit, and Ivan, if you ever listen to this, I did not think I'd be at that job longer than six months. I may have lied at my interview and said, he's like, I need someone for two years. And I was like, oh, yeah, uh-uh. sure. Six yeah, I'll from do then, that. I was planning on going to graduate school. Eight years later, I walk into his office tearing up going, I think I think I have to quit <laughs> because my photography job had taken off. So let's talk about that a little bit in those months leading up to that moment where you're in the office and you're crying, there must've been a lot of questioning, a lot of doubting, a lot of turmoil. So what was it like for you in those moments? So I remember it so clearly. I kind of knew I quit in May of 2009 and Ivan was the best, like that job, had that job from 06 until 09. And it was such a great way to build my business and still have that. And it was, I couldn't have asked for a better scenario. And 09 came along and I knew I was getting to the point in my business that I couldn't handle both. And I remember, again, crying, weirdly enough, at his Super Bowl party 
weirdly enough, I'm sitting watching the Super Bowl going, so sad. This is going to be my last Super Bowl party here because I just knew it was coming. Was that one of the first realizations that you had? I had the realization there was a TV show back then that only did one season called Wedding Day. And it was basically, it was on TNT and it was basically like, what was that? What was that show with the house that they redid the house for people who were in need and it always made you cry? I'm the worst. Oh my gosh. I am the worst oh at gosh. these things. There was that cute guy who was the construction worker who, oh, oh my, you know what I'm talking about. I do know you what you're talking about. cried. Yeah. Real... I don't know, but you know it, it was like, about. it was, a yeah, it was like 2009, 10. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Then, yeah. And like this, poor it was family. like the beginning of those shows. Exactly. That was like before there was like property brothers and a million different, totally. like flip this, flip that, whatever. Yes. Mm-hmm. So this yeah. was like the wedding version. So like a family who was in need would, a couple that was in need who couldn't afford their wedding was their friends and family and this production team would like build this dream wedding. Oh, I, know I think this, I know what that one is too. It's called the wedding day. Yeah. And I was asked to be on it and they flew me out to Detroit from LA to do it. And it was kind of neat. So I'm in Detroit and I'm doing this, but I had to ask for the time off for it. Mm. And I kind of was like, all right, I'm starting to push, push my limits. This was interesting of stress, stressful moments in my career. That summer before I left, I had 10 weddings in Northern Michigan, but I was working full time for Ivan. I would take a red eye on a Thursday night fly to Michigan, get to Mackinac Island, which is like five hours from Detroit, meet with my couple Friday night, shoot their wedding on Saturday, fly back on Sunday and have to be back at work Monday morning at 8 a.m., 9 a.m. for meeting. Wow. 10 times in one summer. Wow. Yeah. And I had more anxiety about missing my plane on Sunday than I did shooting the wedding. (laughs) Wow. And so did they know that or did Ivan know that you were off doing that? And he how totally did you did. navigate that? How was he, he totally did? And I think, you know, he was like, at that point, I'd earned enough trust and respect of look, do your job, just do your job, but don't fuck up. If you fuck up, you're walking a fine line. And that's what I knew. Like, I think there was just this mutual known and respect. And when it came to this show, I went in, I was like, I just got offered this. I don't know. And this was actually kind of cool about it is he was actually kind of father figure to me and was like, what are they covering? Who's the producer? Like, are you getting taken advantage? Are you getting taken advantage on this thing? 100%. And I was kind of like, it's fine. (laughs) And was it? It was. Were they taking care of you? I mean, for me at the time of like whatever, and Mm -hmm. I would have taken anything. Like I was like, I get to be on TV. That's just something I can put on my resume. But at that point I was like, all right. And then come spring of that year, I was like, it's going to be tough next summer to continue and I have to give something up and I don't know what it's going to be. And you know how you're, you start to almost know something's going to happen before the tipping point occurs. Mm-hmm. So your body feels it. Your I was waking up in the it. middle of the night. Oof. I was having panic attacks. I was like, what's going on? Like it was, it was scary. And I remember saying to a photographer friend of mine, do the panic attacks ever stop? And she said, no, they just happen less often and less intense. I'm like, okay, good to know. Yeah. <laughs> that was also good advice. I always have kept with it because 12 years in business, I still have them. So I realized, all right, I just have to weather the storm. And I think that's kind of the biggest lesson too, is learning how to weather all the storms because they're never going to stop. What were some of those tools that you used in those moments? Or were you not even equipped with them yet? I don't even know if I was equipped with them. I mean, luckily, I think I always had a great circle of support Mm -hmm. with family and friends. And I always, honestly, I think this is something about 
you know, we were talking earlier a little bit about what California and LA and the environment around this, such a creative environment can inspire. When you're surrounded a bunch of people who are thinking outside a box, no one's putting you down. No one's saying, well, you should think realistic. There's no realistic thing. No, this is the, the most unrealistic place you could possibly live. Right. I mean, I'm in New York and I'm very real and I, I can, you know, I'll be a dreamer, but I'm pretty sure it's the New Yorker in me that is very real about things, but I still dream. But you come to LA and everybody's heads in the, are in the clouds. And, you know, maybe that's not always a good thing, but for the most part, that creative energy yeah. is here. And I think it's creative too, like meeting in St. Pete. I feel like I've been really lucky in seeing that St. Pete has such a creative environment as well. So as long as you're surrounded by this people that can bring you up when you're feeling down. Mm -hmm. So then the kind of tipping point that was like, all right, the easiest decisions I've ever made have been the hardest decisions. Does that make sense? Oh, hundred percent. The hardest decisions have always been the easiest. The easy, yeah, because you yeah. know, I think that there's always that inner knowing, and I think that it's it's not the decision that takes so much because I think we always know. There, like what you were saying with your body, there's an inner knowing. Yeah. You know what you have to do. It's the action that takes a long time, and it's that all of those feelings of turmoil and all the torture that you put yourself through the until you take unknown, the action. Yes. Not knowing what the, what, you know, where it wants to go, but you don't know what it looks like to get there. Mm -hmm. It's funny. I want to circle back to that because that's what I'm currently going through in the newest stages of my business. Let's do it. Let's circle. Well, but then, so then basically my tipping point was I got offered a job in Macedonia. And wow. Yeah. So I did a wedding in Macedonia and it was, they said that I could, my, it was a friend who was getting married in Macedonia and she said, I'm getting married in May. And this was April, March. And I was like, great next year. No, in two months. I'm like, I can't not do this. I can't not do this. And that's what then prompted me to go off on my own. I was like, I can't not do a wedding in Macedonia to a political figure. So yeah. it was like this huge 500 person. I was like, that was like the jumping point. And it, it was, was almost the thing that was in front of your face that you just couldn't say no to. Exactly. Mm -hmm. And it was almost like it was so outside any norm and all the anxiety was up until that. Once I decided to do that wedding, it was like, all right, what's the next crazy thing that's going to happen? It was like a blank slate from then on. Well, that was the action that you took. It's the pressure, right? There's yeah. the pot is boiling. You got to take it off. A balloon is getting blown up. You got to stop blowing or let it pop. There's there. It's that pressure. And everything you were feeling was all of the pressure of, I know what I need to do. I'm just not doing it yet. And until I do it, I understand it's going to feel a little weird. <laughs> well, it's funny you say that I'm now at a place where I'm like, okay, I know where I want to go. I know how big I want my business to be. I know what I want it to look like, but I don't know what the doing looks like. And yeah. it's that uneasy part of like, and self-doubt comes in and fear of it. Like, oh my gosh, can I really do the things that I think I can do? Mm -hmm. Can I really like only shoot 10 weddings and 15 weddings a year and just give that much to my clients? Can I really, but how does that look? And what do I do? And how do I get there? Well, and I think that's an also an, a very interesting point because, and and you're coming in from the perspective of you're in your business. So you already know what it feels like to shoot these weddings, to run a photography business, to, to do the thing, right? Mm -hmm. And I think a lot of times we have an idea that is like, I want to be an actor. I want to be a graphic designer. I want to freelance. I want to do this. I want to do that. But we don't quite understand what it takes to do that job. And if you knew what it took to do that, you wouldn't want to do so it. True. You know, I mean, there are people, okay, actor, that's a great example. Cool. You want to be an actor. You want to be on stage. You want to be on screen. You love playing pretend. 
fantastic, but you don't like going to auditions. You don't want to market the movies you're in. You don't want to have to go to the gym or take care of your hair or spend money on clothes or any of those things. Well, then you don't want to be an actor because that's the job. The job is all of those things. The job versus the hobby. The job versus the hobby. It is such a distinction. And I think a lot of people starting out or in transition, they have a passion, they have this thing they want to do, and they don't understand fully what it takes to do it. Especially I think when you're creating art and then selling your art, there is such a difference between the hobby artist, which is amazing, and the professional artist that that's what they do for their job and their, their livelihood. Their livelihood. <laughs> There's an essence that is lost in that unless you're willing and happy to do all those other things. And there's actually Elizabeth Gilbert, I think is the one that said this. She made a contract with herself when she was 15 with herself and her writing. And she said, I will never expect you to take care of me. I will always take care of you. And I think that is so interesting of a perspective because she wasn't, I'm your writer. And, and this, this thing that I do, this creative outlet is going to be my everything. No, I'm going to do everything so that I can do this. And I think that's so interesting. But where you're at is a different place because you already know what it takes and you're willing to do it. It's, it's leveling up. Exactly. And that's where like, we talked about low points. And I think my biggest thing is to realize the ebbs and flows. The biggest hardship is taking that first initial leap. That's hard to do it. But then once you realize what's involved, that's another thing. And then once you've got it going, like I would say in year 10, year nine, eight, nine, 10 of my business, I was going good. It was fine. You had that plateau. I had that plateau. Mm -hmm. And then all of a sudden I'm like, oh my gosh, what's going on? I'm not booking. Things aren't going right. So it's had this what's going on with me? Well, it was a good run. I should just quit. And then I realized, no, I'm going to get a business coach or I have to like look outside what I've been doing and change and change it. And you don't know what that change is. It's a whole other leap of faith. So I feel like the leaps of faith never end. There's a book and I don't remember who wrote it and I have to read it, but it's what's got, what got you here won't get you there. Oh, and it's it's based on uh, Einstein's quote. Yeah, probably. Yeah. Um, Einstein's quote was, you're not going to solve the problem from the thinking that got you there or something like that. And it's true. I mean, don't quote me. (laughs) Well, you know, (laughs) we can figure that out, but it's, um, just add that in the editing. Yeah, exactly. I'll just (laughs) insert a little voiceover over you. (laughs) This is the quote. (laughs) (laughs) Little interjections, but it's true. I mean, the things that, and it, This is another thing that I think a lot of people don't recognize until you're like in the thick of it where you were that you can do X, Y, Z and it's gotten you to a certain level, but you're there. So what's next? And if you don't have a goal, then what's next? And And it won't, it won't keep you. No, nothing is, nothing is, nothing ever stays the same. No. So if you do X, Y, and Z and it gets you to Z and you're great, you're still going to have to circle back to A. Mm -hmm. You're still going to go somewhere from there and it's either going to go up or down. It's a loop. It's a loop. And depending on where you're going and what you're doing. And I think that's the scary part of like, you constantly want to be growing, but you don't always know back to like, you don't know what that looks like. Mm -hmm. Well, I think that's where the support comes in. And that's where Mm -hmm. mentors come in and coaches and and your community and looking around you and finding those people that, oh, you're doing what I want to do. What does that look like for you? How, what does that affect your, your money, your 
your life, your relationships, all these things. So for you, when you got to that plateau, what was it? What were things looking for you personally like? The plateau. Oh, the plateau. So at the time <clears throat> I was living in LA in this apartment. Ooh. I was booking great weddings, having couples. I think that year or close to that year, I was I had flown to Europe like three times for different shoots. From an outsider's perspective, I looked like I had it all together. And then I started dating a guy. <laughs> Always kind of changes the dynamic and the formula up a bit. Every time. Every time. And so that part was going great, but I was all of a sudden maybe, I don't know, who knows if this was good or bad or what it was, but like I wasn't putting as much attention into the work, I would plateaued. I was doing great. I can like let this go and work at a different aspect of my life. Maybe I'd been working too hard for so long. So finding that like work-life balance. You were comfortable. I was comfortable. I was comfortable where my business was. And I felt like things were just coming, including a guy. So, you know, I started spending more time with him and then I ended up moving out of LA and moving to Florida to St. Pete where I met your beautiful face. Yeah. And your beautiful face. But really not until after I'd made it out of my plateau actually down from plateau went down. Mm. So were you in the down when I met you? No. You were in downward so dog living- though. Cause we met at 108 <laughs> salutations. Yes. You like that, right? I'm excited about that. Oh my God. You're I right. I just, that was a good one. Yeah, I'm I kind of want to cheers our microphones. I know. Let's do it. Let's do <laughs> cheers. it. It was a foamy cheers. It was right. a foamy cheers. Um, no, I was on the swing up. Mm, okay, yes. great. So I'd moved to St. Pete, Florida. And I kind of moved in with the guy and I was like, all right, so this is my next phase in life. I'm going to like just continue with the business being status quo. Now, was it your choice to move to St. Pete or was that him? Would you have moved? It was his place. But I kind of also felt like, you know, I'd always been looking for a partner and being in LA, I was very business focused and I was traveling all the time that I wasn't finding it and I wasn't finding the dating scene and I wasn't, that part wasn't working for me. And I met this guy in Michigan and there was like, he fit all the, like the formula fit. Mm. And I was like, all right, this, this could work. I'm like, I don't know if I need to be in LA and I don't need to be in California. And I knew Michigan was still going to be there for my business. I was like, this could be interesting. Let's go for it. So it was our choice. And I don't regret it one bit, one bit. So moved to Florida. And at this point, I realized the business has been really falling. I didn't have my friends. I didn't have my circle. The relationship wasn't working out as I had hoped. It's like everything. It was everything. all the things. And how was your money? Oh, money was non-existent. Mm. And the boyfriend's money was non-existent. And it was just, it was a whole hot mess. But of course, in the time, I think, again, because my view of life, my view of life was like, it's fine. It's temporary. But I think we do that a lot. I mean, I've I've definitely had instances where I've gone through really traumatic things and I'm like, it's cool. It's fine. It's fine. I'm fine. I'm strong. Let's keep going. Yeah. And that shit creeps up on you. Yeah. In really unexpected ways. And, and I, I think, think it's where you adjust from there. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah. are you going to swing up or are you going to swing down? Yeah. And I think... I didn't quit and I knew it was temporary and I had enough faith and spirituality and all will work out okay. Even though I didn't have my yoga, I didn't have my workout. It's funny now I look back in retrospect how much of the me stuff I had, but I also looked at it as like, I've only been in St. Pete for five months, Mm -hmm. four months. Got to give it time to like get in there. And I think sometimes we also use that as an excuse to not mm. do the things that feed us. Cause yeah. you know, I mean, and I was adjusting to living with this guy for the first time. Yeah. Like there were so many variables in which it was just a hot mess. Were you working at all? I like, I literally took a job for $150 and I had not taken a job for $150 ever. 
like since Andreka Photography became a business. Mm. And I was like, I got to get, got to get, I got it. It was like that, um, you know, and when you're talking about business, there's the need versus want. I don't think that's it. But like when you're struggling just to grab whatever you can, you're not putting, you just need it. The desperation yeah. and you're not in a mental state to provide for abundance mm-hmm. when you're just grabbing anything you can off the floor. You're grabbing scraplings versus reaching for the stars. And what was that? wedding like for you? It what was that wedding. experience? It was an event. Or what was that event, event like for you? It was a lot more work. I was like, it was just, it was not great. I mean, I was actually happy to be shooting, which made me think, wow, I need to shoot more. Mm-hmm. But it was like one of those things that when you're trying to find clients and you can't find them, you're like, what am I doing wrong? What am I missing the mark? And honestly, that's when I got the business coach. I discovered Station House. Mm. I started, I met Lindsay. Station House is the co-work space in St. Pete. I started meeting a couple of people and this was at the very end of the relationship and end of that kind of moment in before I went to Michigan and that period. And that was the shift. It took a couple things. Like it's almost like the universe doesn't give you things that you can't really handle. Like had everything fallen apart at the same time, which it was on its decline, but my business was on the uphill when the relationship started going downhill. So at least I had that to hold on to. Well, and it's funny because when the relationship was on the uphill, the business was on the downhill. Right. So and now there was that balance. sweet spot of balance. How do we find that spot of balance? Isn't that always the question? Mm. Riding the waves. Well, how did you kick things back into balance? Well, my yoga. Yeah. <laughs> Literally balance. Yeah. <laughs> well, I went back to Michigan and I kind of followed the signs. Like luckily I went right back into... I had lost a lot of my patterned ritual, not ritual, what would I put? The habits I have that I know are good for me. And I always, I don't know if you know this, I always pull a Native American animal medicine card every I morning. I did not know that. And how long have you been doing that for? This is a backstory. So I always, first I always read a meditation out of one of my books and it's a very short meditation. It's a little quote and it's a little uh, of reading, like it's half a page and it kind of just centers me for the day. When things get off kilter, I can come back to that and read that and think of that. And sometimes it works. Sometimes it's just a, I'm going through the motions, but at least I did the motion. So I started doing that. Funny enough, I weirdly started just looking for signs. I started seeing, and I don't know if you know this either. I started seeing one, one, one. Really? I'm a one, one, one person. You know, that's the emergency number in New Zealand. Is it? Yeah. They don't do 911. They do one, one, one. Interesting. So I would see one, 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 or one, 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 one. Anywhere from a series of three or two doesn't really count. One eleven eleven too. What a one eleven eleven eleven. I would see it on the clock three times a day. It only shows up four times a day. And no joke. From June sixth till I'd say honestly now I see it at least once a day. Wow. There were moments where I would see it more, and I kind of just took it as like, I've got it. It's okay. Everything's going to be oh fine. That was like your assurance, your your validation. Like yeah. you're, this is, you're good. Like sometimes if you can't find it within yourself, you look for an outside reminder, whether it's like true or not true, whether you believe this stuff or not, it doesn't hurt anyone. I mean, I think we're always looking for outside validation. Right. And sometimes it's a good thing in your case. And sometimes it's a bad thing. Right. I think it's, again, one of those things that comes down to balance of what is it that you're looking for outside of you? Yeah. If it's just a little, like a butterfly that, makes you smile and makes you feel like, cool, you're on the right path. That's legit. And it makes you a better human to other humans. Mm -hmm. And so I kind of started seeing that. And then this is the whole transition into St. Pete, my true St. Pete. Like if you asked me when I came to St. Pete, those first six months don't count. Yeah. It really wasn't until I met your face. (laughs) And then it all started. Well, I think that 
It takes two years in any given new home to really get your footing, to really build your community, to know where you're at, what you're doing. I, I just feel like when you hit that, and obviously we're talking six months, but yeah. you know, I think when you hit that two year stride, you kind of like and it matters home. who you meet. Yeah. Like, oh, yeah. So the whole signs were out of nowhere. I got invited to a wedding show at the Don Cesar, which is a huge wedding venue. And it's I was beautiful, like, big, beautiful, pink gorgeous. building on the beach. If you're ever going to get married there, you should hire Andrea a photography. Wink, wink, plug, plug. Mm, do it. <laughs> She's great. But I was like, all right, I don't know what's going on with this guy and I, but I'm going to fly back to Florida to go to this wedding show. Step one. Don't know what's going to happen. We'll see. So I did that. And I booked a wedding. Next time I had to fly in for something. Oh, that time I ran into Lindsay at Station House. And I said, Lindsay, I'm looking for a place to live. Do you have anything? I have a room. What? Oh my gosh. And the rent was stupid cheap, Mm -hmm. especially after moving from LA. Oh yeah. I was like, oh my gosh, I have a job and I have a roommate and I have a friend. Wow. How'd this all happen? And then all of a sudden I got into the body electric community and into the yoga community and all the things that feed my soul were working out. And then I got into a whole work community. So it's like the community in St. Pete has been so uplifting that I'm like, oh, so my downside moving there has become such an upside that now, and to me, St. Pete's like a little mini LA. Yeah. Have you found that at all? You know, it's a little bit different for me because for me and what I do as an assistant director and even as a producer, there's not a lot of work there for me. Mm. The production work that's there is obviously very minimal. Most of it is run and gun, one man band or one woman band type thing. So for someone like you, who's a photographer or someone that has a red and does everything, the one-stop shop, it's a great place. It's an incredible place for building an entrepreneurial community, for supporting your community, for all those things. But for me and what I do, it's not. And yeah. and it was a very low place for me and a very dark place for me because I couldn't do what I do. And, and every time I would move out of Florida, like when I lived in New Zealand, my success skyrocketed and I was home and I was doing the things that I'm good at, that I'm valued for, and I was being valued. And so, you know, when I came over here, and granted, I'm at that six month mark now too. <laughs> I've just come home and yeah. you know, whatever. I'm very spoiled. I was born and raised in New York, 100% spoiled. I know that. But that's also what makes it hard for me to live in smaller places where I don't have an abundance of theater, where I don't have an abundance of creativity and of um, diversity and of literally anything I want at my fingertips. And I found that a lot in Auckland as well, even though a lot of people will be like, oh, it's, it's New Zealand. It's really small. Most of what I wanted was there. Auckland is a very, it's a robust place. It's obviously the the biggest city there. I think it's bigger than Wellington, but Florida was just always a very interesting place. And I did found a, a job that was good for me, resume wise, experience wise, whatever, but it wasn't what I do really. Yeah. I've been here for six months and got three calls for jobs in the car on the way over here. So clearly something is clicking and, right. and it's the right thing to be the doing. Signs. The Your signs. signs pulled you here. Oh, my signs from Santa Barbara pulled me to LA. Like mm-hmm. it's following the signs. Yeah. Fate and trusting it. That's the hard part. And trusting yourself too. And and knowing Mm -hmm. that sometimes you get it wrong. Sometimes your intuition isn't perfect. It's not right. Your intuition is such a strong, powerful thing, but it also doesn't mean that's not going to get it wrong sometimes. And that's okay. Mm, Yeah. And that when people tell you, well, that's wrong. Like, you know what? Let me make my own mistakes. Mm -hmm. If you think it's wrong, great. I don't at the moment. 
Yeah. And it's okay. Like, I think that's the thing. It's hard, especially as a creative, because in and of itself, being a creative, you're going outside the box. You're going to have people say, you can't do this. What are you thinking? All the time. All the time. When I started my photography business, I had people go, uh, you have to take a photo. Because I I didn't mention this, that there were five years when I lived in Santa Barbara that I never held a camera. Wow. I just put it away and was working on graduate schools or whatever, everything else. And were you calling yourself a photographer at that point? No, no, no. Okay. I was very, unlike a lot of the new world of photography and photographers, and actually this was something that I found in California versus Michigan and Florida. I guess Florida doesn't count because I was so much later in my life. But in Michigan, when I moved to California, everyone was a photographer. Everyone is everything here. Everyone's a Doesn't mean they're doing it and getting paid for it. Exactly. And so when everyone would say, I'm a photographer, I'd be like, I'm not a photographer. I'm not. Like even once I started my business, was getting paid to shoot a wedding, I wasn't a photographer. I remember how hard it was the first time I said, when someone said, what do you do? And I was like, well, I, uh, I'm, I'm an assistant, but I'm kind of a photographer. Like I was so scared to say it now. It's like, it's nothing. It doesn't mean anything. Well, and there's two sides to that coin too, because I think that there's their imposter syndrome, which is what you've experienced. Mm -hmm. And then there is saying what you are before that's what you are and having the confidence and the, the right. yes to be like, this is who I am. Everything else will figure out the rest. So, and there's a little duality there because they're, they're both good and they're both bad. Do you think that's a, uh, where we are now in society? Do you think 10 years ago, people were actually 10 doesn't work. 15, 15, 30, 15, 30 years 20, ago, 30. like before we were professionals. Yeah. So let's go whole different standard. Whole different whole standard. Different. You did not say what you mm-hmm. were. Well, now I can bring it up to a whole other thing. You've heard the quote about, or the article about how if you see a job listing and it has the requirements, a man will interview if they have one, if they know one and a woman will interview if they, they have to have all of them or else they won't interview. Oh yeah. And I wonder if it's kind of the similar type thing, but now our society is pushing it so much more so that we are able to. Well, I will answer that question right now because I've seen it where men, cinematographers, these like 19 year old kids are like, I'm a cinematographer. They don't know shit. And then you see a woman and I've seen this at women in film events and women in media events, which I go to quite often. I'll find female cinematographers who are shooting, they are doing the job and yet they won't call themselves a cinematographer. And it's like, there's a dude out there who doesn't know half the stuff that you know who is calling himself that. So you need to get over that and you need to just call yourself what you are. If you're not doing it, no, don't call yourself that. Let's not bullshit here. But if you are, why are we so afraid to call it that way? When I moved to New Zealand, my primary experience was as a production coordinator and a little bit of production managing as well. But I knew that I wanted to be an assistant director and I had done the job. I was a second AD on a lot of jobs that didn't credit me for it. And so when I got there, there was a little bit of a reluctance to say that that's what I was, but I was like, no, I've done it. That's what I am. I've done it. Mm -hmm. I can change whatever you wanted to say on my resume, but that's what I am. I'm a second AD and I happen to coordinate as well. And guess what? All the jobs I did there was as an AD and when they needed someone for production or someone to do a little bit more on either end of the shoot day, I was the person to do it because I had all that experience. But I didn't hesitate to call myself an AD because I knew I knew the job, I understood the job, I had done the job and I could do it. But I don't think I would have bullshitted my way into it, which a lot of people do, especially in this industry. And I can't yeah. say that I fully support it. And I don't know if it's, I th- honestly think it's just, I think it started out here. Yeah. I shouldn't say that. I shouldn't blame California for it because not even in the industry, but in photography, I would even see it all the but time. 
a lot of people do. And I feel like now it's even, it's everywhere. It's everywhere. But I wonder if it's an age thing. It's a generation thing. Yeah, there's an entitlement thing going on. And there's, yeah, I mean, I think it's, we just live in a different time where people, not that they don't value. Social media and Instagram. Yeah, there's a lot of lies out there. (laughs) And I don't think that it's that people don't value experience, but I don't think people value experience. Yeah. They want to pay for a new, like the, the, the rates that they're paying people, for example, like they want to pay for a kid right out of college, but they want them to have 20 years of experience. So there's absolutely a disconnect. But to keep on the topic of fully embracing who you are, or who you want to be, I think there's a fine line between bullshitting and owning. Owning, you know, a totally different. I agree. I say there is a definition of what this is. And if you have had the job, you are it. If you're like, I want to but I've never done it. Cool. Keep trying. Yeah. Yeah. You're working towards, right. I'm working towards being a photographer. I'm working towards being X, Y, Z. And that is totally fair, totally legit and totally real. And we do need to be in supportive. And this is where it comes down to the people around you, supporting you in who you are. Yeah. I had friends say you have to be able to pick up a camera. Half the people said that the other half said, we've been waiting 10 years for you to realize this is what you are. Yeah. You know, it's like those people who knew this is what you are. Yeah. And it does take people knowing you. And I think it's also people seeing you. I did a job where I was ADing and the guy pulled me aside afterwards, the the head of production over there. It was like a a partner type job. But in any event, he pulled me aside afterwards and was like, do you production, do you produce, do you production manage? Like he was just asking me more things. And I was like, yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I, I met with him the other day and he said something that was just so incredibly rewarding because he said, I saw your first AD. I saw that you're awesome at that. And that's not all you are. I saw that you're great at that, but I could tell that that was just a tool in your tool belt that you know, and you do a lot more. And having someone say that to me, especially that doesn't know me, like he only saw me working for that week. That was our only experience together. And, And yet he could see through the one job that I was doing to who I really was, which is a lot more. I have a really weird set of experiences in production and I've done a lot of jobs in a lot. I mean, all in production, but in different positions, in different areas of production and different outlets and mediums. So I am very well rounded. But if you were looking at a credits list or something, it doesn't really read that way. But for someone to actually see me and see through the one job that I was doing, and he intuitively knew that I was more than that, that I think that was probably one of the first times that something like that has happened or one of the few times that it has. And it's an incredible feeling for someone to truly see past the one thing you're doing right now. So do you think we need to, this just made me think about something we should all do more, which is we just need to tell people when they do good jobs more often. 100%. We don't do that enough. No. Like I think, and I wonder sometimes if people are scared, not scared, but almost like too shy. I think shy is the way to put it, to go up and say, you're doing a great job. Like they don't need to hear that. I think everyone, like I actually had this moment and I even thought I should tell them. And I just didn't. I had like a server at a restaurant at the Detroit airport yesterday and he was great, but the food was really good. And I was like, I should tell him that the food was really good. Like I was really surprised how good the food was. And as I walked away, I was kind of like, well, my stuff's here. His back is turned. He didn't make the food. Should I really do it? And now I'm like, damn, I should have just said the more you put out a positive compliment, the more it ripples. Oh, it's yeah. And it's like, I feel like this is going to be my new thing. This week, I think we should cheers our microphones again and make a pack that we are once a day to this week, we're going to like tell someone out of the blue, a stranger that they're doing something good. I love doing that. So let's cheers that. Cheers. 
Um, I do love that. And I I do try to make a point to do that. And I don't always remember, of course, especially like when you're in the thick of it. But especially if I'm just out on the street and I see someone with a beautiful dress or has gorgeous hair or like whatever, I'll just say that or someone that just did a great job or whatever. I think there's so much value in just taking a second out of your day to compliment someone else from a very real place. And we don't do it enough. Connecting with humanity. Connecting. Yeah, it is. Connecting with strangers. It is 100% connecting. It's uncomfortable, but it's needed in our world. But it gets less uncomfortable the more you do it. It becomes more second nature to notice the good around you and comment on it. Yeah. And that you don't know who needs to hear that. Even if it's not even the person you're telling, it could be the person you're with or someone who overhears you that just needed that little bit of, oh shit, there is some goodness in the world. Right? (laughs) There is something good out here. Yeah. It's funny. I've had that reaction. Three things have happened to me in the last 12 hours since I've been in in LA. I was standing in line yesterday. Did I tell you about my car rental situation? No. Oh my gosh. I landed at 7.30. I did not get here until 10.30. It's a 30 minute drive from LAX. I was at the airport. I was at the car rental place for over two hours and I'm standing in line with probably 30 people and the line is not moving. And you know, in this world where we're talking race and gender equality and all of the shit that's going on and I'm standing and I'm looking at the people around me and there's a dude who's kind of like, okay, I'm going to cliche here, not cliche, but stereotype. We had the classic LA older rocker looking dude, tight jeans, long hair, Mm. little older, probably younger than what he is, but he's been rocking hard. Then there was like him. And then there was like this white hipster dude, probably 20 something. And then there was this black guy and the Three of them were 100% connecting, conversating across the line about politics and about female equality. And I was like, I'm just sitting there annoyed at everything, but also just like feeling so good about humanity, listening to these three men, total different walks of life, engaging in a controversial conversation in such an open environment with 30 people around. And how nice is it that there didn't have to be a woman that was in it or orchestrating it? And I'm sure some people listening to this might argue like there has to be a woman involved, but like, no, No, because it was great that it was all initiated by men. Yeah, because if we want something to change, the people who are in power are the ones who have the ability to change. It's not necessarily just the people raising the flag saying, hey, this is wrong. There's something going on here. It has to be the people in the position of privilege, in the position of power who can talk to their peers and who can encourage and influence their peers to make the changes that we need to make. Did you listen to Anna Ferris's interview with Terry Crews? No. Oh, my God. I love Terry Crews. Best. It's exactly what he talked about. Yeah. But he was talking in the sense of the, it was talking about the sense of the abolitionists that like, it wasn't until the white men stood up for the black men that the big differences happened. And he's like saying the same thing. It's not until the men stand up for the women that we really need big changes. I'm telling you tonight, go home. I'm going to listen to it. Listen to Anna Ferris, Terry Crews. It's, you're going to cry. You're going to laugh. You're going to want everybody's homework. It's everybody's homework. It's the best. But listen to all these first. Oh yeah, totally. First. (laughs) Yes, of course. But it was like, It was amazing. And it's kind of the same whole idea, but it was that. And then today I'm on the street and I'm walking along and it was like different races, different genders, all just like engaging in humanity. It happened on the street right now in front of my apartment with a dude that had a dog and I was chatting with him. And then like in my dance studio where it was literally like 20 women, all different ages, all different races, all different walks of life, all engaging in the same movement. And that's a beautiful thing. That was amazing. I love that. (laughs) So I think that's a really great place to end this (laughs) on the feel good. And I want to try a little something 
maybe this is going to work. Maybe it's not going to work, but I would love for you to give listeners a creative challenge and then they can share it with the hashtag, the unplugged creative. Oh, a creative challenge. Yeah, whatever you want it to be. Oh, all right. I'm going to do a photography challenge. Great. Take three photos of the same thing in different angles. Great. Say it one more time. Take three photos of the same object from three different angles. And then if you post it on Instagram, hashtag the unplugged creative, and we will all get to share and we'll share it on our Instagram too. Sweet. Awesome. Well, thank you so much. This was a great conversation. I'm so happy that you were the first. This was just perfect. (laughs) Thanks. Thanks. You're the best. You're the best. Thank you so much for listening. Head on over to the Unplugged Creative to get the show notes and link up with this week's creative. If you like what you're hearing, I would love it if you went on over to iTunes and left me a five-star review. That's going to help other people learn about this podcast and probably help some other creatives say yes to doing it. Special thanks goes out to James Granger for his original music. I'll be in your ears next week. Bye. Bye.